And this Lord's Day, we're talking a bit more about the gospel-centered Christian and a man we know as Barnabas from this text. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, when you arrive there, because this is the Word of God and you are the people of God on the Lord's Day, if you are able this morning, would you please stand to hear from the God who still speaks to his people right here this morning in his word. Acts 11, beginning in verse 19, Luke wrote as he was carried along by the Spirit of God these words. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Each one of us has been indelibly shaped by the influence of other people in our lives. Consider with me for just a moment the people who have left an imprint on your life. Perhaps your parents have been a profound influence on your life to the present. It may be that the influence of grandparents or some other family member has left you a different person. Church leaders may fit this category. Teachers, coaches, perhaps even friends fit within this category of person whose impact reverberates in our lives to the present and perhaps even all the way to the remainder of our lives. We are shaped by the people around us. We pick some of those people. Others are picked for us. Nevertheless, they shape us. Well, this morning, I want to look together at a man in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, whose influence on the church of Christ resounds nearly 2,000 years after he lived and ministered. The man's name, properly, was Joseph of Cyprus. 
But the apostles referred to him affectionately as Barnabas. And it's likely, if you're familiar with this man, you know him as Barnabas, which just means what? Do you remember this, some of you? Son of encouragement. That's exactly right. So he was nicknamed by the apostles, son of encouragement. That is, this was a man who was characterized by this wonderful and refreshing gift we call Christian encouragement. During our time together, what I want to do is examine the way Luke, as he was carried along by God's Spirit, described this tremendous man of God, Barnabas. And a little background perhaps will serve us as we move forward together throughout the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. If you've been with us, you know this. If not, perhaps this is information for you. Throughout the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts, the church, the early church, was comprised primarily of Jewish Christians. This was predominantly a Jewish movement in the early years. In fact, outsiders... Those who are outside of the church and outside of Judaism often referred to Christianity as a kind of sect of Judaism. A small collection of particular Jews. Well, in Acts chapter 10, things begin to change. And the Spirit of God signals this shift, this pivot in the story of early Christianity Through the conversion of a Gentile centurion, soldier. And his name was Cornelius. Cornelius and his household, in fact, including many people that he had just invited to his home, heard the Apostle Peter preach the message of the gospel. They embraced the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. And they were filled with the Spirit of God in the same way the Jewish people were filled in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 10, God was bearing testimony that he was adopting, as it were, these non-Jewish people who trusted in Jesus Christ with the same rights and privileges that the Jewish people who trusted in Jesus Christ possessed. Well, Gentile converts to Christianity were not limited to Cornelius. In fact, look down with me at Acts chapter 11. Again, we just read these few verses. Look at verses 19, 20, and 21. This is all happening in the context of what we're going to do this morning. We're going to describe Barnabas, but we can't really understand Barnabas unless we remember the context in which he ministered. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled. Now remember, these are predominantly, primarily Jewish Christians, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Notice, speaking the word to no one except Jews. They spoke the word to no one except Jews. They were inviting Jews to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. They were calling on Jews to repent of their sins. Now notice verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Now that's that's a word we don't often use to describe Gentiles, but in this context, that's simply what it means. It's These are Greek speakers. These are Gentiles. These are non-Jews. And so some of the Christians who were scattered on account of the persecution that arose over Stephen back in Acts chapter 7, some of those Christians were bold enough to proclaim the message of Jesus to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles. 
calling on Gentiles to repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus. And then verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them in particular. God is doing something here and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so in Antioch, droves of Gentiles were embracing the message of the gospel and entering the church. And as I mentioned a moment ago, this does represent a pivot in early Christian history. Now, the church that was primarily and predominantly Jewish is going to become a mixed assembly comprised of both Gentiles and Jews who are unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the church. In fact, it won't be long until the early church becomes predominantly Gentile. But it's not their ethnicity that identified them predominantly. It was their faith in Jesus Christ. And so last Lord's Day, what we did is we looked together at this church, church in Antioch, as what we called a truly gospel-centered church. And in this gospel-centered church, comprised of believing Jews and believing Gentiles worshiping together, Barnabas was one of the leading figures. So Barnabas was one of the leading figures in this early local church known as the church in Antioch. So if you're taking notes, all that was just introduction and review. It was free. So now, you got to pay for the rest. If you're taking notes this morning, there are a couple of items you can jot down and we'll walk through these together. We're going to examine Barnabas in two stages. First, we're going to look together at who Barnabas was. Who Barnabas was. And here we're going to find two descriptions of Barnabas. So it's two subpoints. Okay? For those of you who are zealous in your note taking, who Barnabas was, and then we'll find two of those descriptions. Secondly, we're going to look together and discuss what Barnabas did. What Barnabas did. So, first, who Barnabas was. Second, what Barnabas did. At this point, we will find three activities of Barnabas. Three activities of Barnabas. So first, who Barnabas was, two descriptions. Second, what Barnabas did, three activities. And of course, all in all, what we're going to find is a man who was so shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ that he tended to serve as an instrument in the hands of this Redeemer, shaping others into the image of Jesus Christ. All the while, we are this morning aspiring by God's mercy to be a bit more like Barnabas who perhaps more so than us at times was a bit more like Jesus Christ. Younger worshipers, if, if uh, you're in the room with us, if you're not in the room with us, by the way, you can't hear this. If you're in the room with us, unless you're listening online, it's always an odd statement to make, is if you're here this morning, younger worshipers, our children in the room, I want you to be on the lookout for a couple of things. And parents, you can jot these down, grandparents, so you can engage with your younger worshipers throughout the sermon first. Be able to answer this question, how did Barnabas respond when he saw God's grace in the church of Antioch? How did he respond? Luke tells us that he goes to Antioch and he sees God's grace 
then what does he do? How does he respond? Second, what famous Christian did Barnabas disciple? What famous Christian did Barnabas disciple? Give you a hint. Arguably the most influential follower of Christ in the last 2,000 years. So what famous Christian did Barnabas disciple? Let's begin by looking together at who Barnabas was. Look with me at verse 24, part A. So we're kind of jumping to the middle of our text. We're going to pick up who Barnabas was. Then we'll go back and find a bit more about what Barnabas did. Verse 24, Luke offers the following description of who Barnabas was. For he was a good man. And notice, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, I chose to begin with who Barnabas was for this reason. Everything Barnabas did was an outgrowth of who he was. Moreover, there is a danger in merely talking about the activities of Barnabas. And the danger is found here. We will aspire to perform the activities of Barnabas without becoming the man who is like, or the woman who is like Barnabas by God's grace. What we do grows out of who we are. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And so what I'm going to suggest to you this morning is Barnabas was a good tree by God's grace. This is why he bore good fruit. Luke gives us two descriptions, and we'll mention these briefly. We won't spend long here. Two descriptions of who Barnabas was. First, Barnabas was a good man. He was a good man. In other words, he was a man of virtue, faithfulness, Christ-likeness. The word used here is at times used to communicate something exemplary, something worth imitating, or even something superior in comparison to others. Barnabas was an exemplary man of God. He was pleasing to the Lord. That was actually who he was. He was a good man. Second description. In addition to being a good man, Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see that? And by the way, I take it that that's a single description. We might be tempted to talk about three descriptions here, but the syntax leads us to simply two descriptions. He was a good man, and he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And the text is not clear regarding the relationship between being full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and being a good man. But we receive a lot of help from other passages of Scripture concerning the relationship between being full of the Holy Spirit and faith and being a good man. For example, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit, now listen carefully, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, what? Goodness. There it is. Same root word. And then what? Faithfulness. 
Same root word. Gentleness and self-control. In other words, Barnabas' goodness was the product or the fruit of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't miss that. Barnabas was a good man, not because he was intrinsically virtuous. Barnabas was a good man because he was filled with the Holy Spirit who bore good fruit by means of Barnabas. He was a good man because he had trusted in the good Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before, before we go on to what Barnabas did, you must understand, again, just revisit this. I mentioned a moment ago, I want to revisit this because um, I would regret having miscommunicated this to you all this morning. Seeking to imitate Barnabas' activities without the presence of the Holy Spirit and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me, is a fool's errand. You can't do it. You can't do what Barnabas did. Not properly, not fundamentally, without being the kind of person Barnabas was. Now here's the problem. Like me, who you are is fundamentally at odds with goodness. If you're honest with yourself this morning, you don't have to teach yourself to desire the things you ought not desire. No one had to teach you this. You weren't, you weren't instructed, as it were, to, to sin properly. Some of you who work in children's ministry know this well. I think children's workers probably have a better grasp on total depravity than than some of the rest of us. Not because children are more depraved than we are. However, they haven't learned to bridle that depravity and disguise it in other forms. Ours is more civilized depravity, right? But no, you, you, you know that you desire things you ought not desire and it's more fundamental to who you are. In fact, if we're honest, right, we, we say things like this, I'm, I'm sorry I did that, I didn't mean to do it. No, no, a more accurate apology would be something like this, I'm sorry that I meant to do it. I've, I've, I found myself harming my wife or my children with my words and then wanting to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. But I'd be lying. No, I meant exactly what I said and that's the problem. What came out of my mouth actually was what filled my heart. It was fundamentally who I, who I was. So my actions and my words bore testimony to who I was. So what's the solution? I mean, how do we get to be this, this good man or woman like Barnabas? He was a good man. That's the gospel, isn't it? You see, the promise of the gospel, the message of Christianity is indeed that Jesus Christ came. He became truly human while remaining truly God. He lived in perfect obedience on our behalf before the Father. He died in obedience to the Father in our place and for our sins, bearing our curse, bearing our guilt, bearing our penalty. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. That indeed is the gospel. But listen to me, it doesn't stop there. The gospel... 
doesn't stay, and there's a Latin phrase that gets used throughout church history, extra nos, outside of us. But what does Jesus do from heaven? He sends the Holy Spirit who takes the work of Christ and applies it in nobis within us. Christ outside of me is insufficient. I need Christ in me, the hope of glory. And that's Paul's point. And more properly, it's not that Christ is insufficient. It's that I'm not benefiting from the work of Christ unless it's applied to me. And that's what happens as we're trusting in Christ. Dear friends, listen to me. The promise of the gospel is not simply that you receive forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ alone. That indeed is the promise of the gospel. But it's more than that. You receive transformation through faith in Christ alone. Christ begins to fundamentally change you. He declares you his on the basis of his own obedience. And then through the work of the Spirit of God who's at work inside of us, in our affections, in our being and who we are, he's replacing, to use imagery from the Old Testament, he's replacing this heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And instead of inscribing God's commandments on tablets of stone, tablets that can and were broken, he's inscribing God's commandments on our hearts. That's how we become good people. And not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of what Christ has done for us, outside of us, and through the application of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So, Barnabas was a good man. On account of the work of Christ, received by faith, and the application of that work through the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you'd like to know more about this, if you have questions about this, or perhaps if you think maybe for the very first time you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your transformation, we would love to visit with you. We would ask that you have the boldness to stick around for a few moments after the service. When we dismiss in just a little while, as you walk outside of one of these double doors or through one of these double doors, take a left. And on the right-hand side out there before you leave is a room called Crossroads. And we would love to visit with you and share with you a bit more about what we believe concerning Jesus Christ and come alongside of you and you alongside of us potentially as we learn to cherish Christ and be transformed by Christ. Well... So Barnabas was a man filled with the Spirit and a faith in Jesus, and that produced goodness. Let's look together now at what Barnabas did. We spent a little longer on that first point that I anticipated. We'll see if we finish the rest of this this morning. I, I plan on being around next Lord's Day, if the Lord wills. So if we have to stop, we'll just keep going next week. What Barnabas did what Barnabas did. We've seen two descriptions of who Barnabas was. Now three activities, what Barnabas did. First, first, Barnabas willingly served the church. He willingly served the church. Notice verse 22. The report of this, what report? The report of Gentiles coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ in droves. Like the the church in Jerusalem hears about this and says, what is going on in Antioch? Gentiles 
are coming to know Jesus as Messiah. Moreover, they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is happening? Well, we're told when the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, who did they send? Or whom did they send? They sent Barnabas. The church selected Barnabas, and he willingly went. And when the report of these Gentile converts reached the mother church, we might even call them in Jerusalem, it tells us something about the man when he's selected to represent the church, to investigate what's going on, and he's serving the church in so doing. Similarly, after having ministered in the church of Antioch for a year, this is later in our text, he ministers in Antioch for about a year with Saul. We'll get to that point in just a moment. Then at the conclusion of our text, verse 30, after the church in Antioch heard that the church throughout Judea, which included Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem is located in Judea. If you didn't know that, that's fine. But Jerusalem is a city within the broader region of Judea. So Jerusalem and the surrounding churches, as it were, throughout Judea, they were going to suffer a famine and they needed help. The church in Antioch, this predominantly now Gentile church, raises money, sends it to the church in Judea. And who carries the money? Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas willingly served the church. Luke first introduced us to Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4. Verses 36 and 37, where Barnabas is described as someone who embodied generosity. At the conclusion of Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sells property. And he takes all of the money, all of the proceeds from the sale of his own property, and he takes it to the church in Jerusalem, and he places it at the apostles' feet in order to serve the body of Christ. And he serves as a model. For generosity. Barnabas willingly served the church. Second, second activity we find of Barnabas, and I may camp out here a little bit longer because this gets right at the heart of who the man was and what he did. Barnabas eagerly recognized and celebrated. Both of those are important. Barnabas eagerly recognized and celebrated God's grace in the church. Let me say that again. Barnabas eagerly recognized and celebrated God's grace in the church. Look at verse 23. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He rejoiced. He celebrated. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas was a man who knew what God's grace looked like among God's people. And he wasn't afraid to rejoice on account of God's grace. The church in Antioch was not perfect. Well, how do we know this? Because there were people there. People like you, people like me. We also know this from the testimony of all of Scripture, even early Christian history. But by Acts chapter 15, there is a significant debate taking place. And this debate is between the Jewish believers 
And the Gentile believers, now some of the Jewish believers had come from Jerusalem and stirred up trouble. But this was a constant battle in the early church, and Antioch was not exempt from this battle. One of the dangers of reading some of the descriptions in the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament is to fail to read them alongside of other texts and alongside of the rest of Scripture. I've shared this with you before. But I had a professor who would say from time to time when he heard someone say, you know what, we just want to be a New Testament church. And, and he would respond with something like this, which New Testament church? Yeah. I know some I don't want to be like. Corinth, to name one. I've never, I've never seen a church sign boast about being the church of Corinth. Right? Or the church of Galatia. Why? Because they're rebuked heavily. The church was not perfect, and the church in Antioch was was an imperfect church. But Barnabas, Barnabas saw an imperfect church through the lens of the perfection of Jesus Christ. That's how he saw the church. Others of a more critical spirit, doubtless, would have arrived in Antioch and found many faults in this newly developed community of faith. They don't worship the right way. The prayers too long or too short. The music style must be displeasing to the Lord. Because what pleases the Lord is what I like, not what others like. Preaching style is just not precisely what I'm interested in. Others could have found many faults. In this newly developed community. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, what is your perspective concerning the church? What is your general posture in relationship to God's people? Has your perspective been profoundly shaped by the gospel of Christ such that you recognize and celebrate the consistent presence and grace of God among God's people? Or are you prone to find fault in anything and everything because it does not meet your standard of spirituality? I'm convinced that when our perspective is shaped by the gospel, we look less for spiritual arrival and more for spiritual growth, no matter how small. Now hear me say that again. We look less for spiritual arrival And more for spiritual growth, no matter how small. Barnabas did not find a church that had arrived. It was a brand new church. Filled with Gentile believers. But he did find a church that was experiencing God's grace and spiritual growth. Now don't misunderstand me. There are times, there are times to offer appropriate Forms and biblically supported criticisms of the church. However, such criticisms should occur from a perspective of consistently looking for and celebrating God's grace among God's people. In fact, I'm convinced of this. If I, if I fail to see the evidence of God's grace among God's people and in the lives of Christ's followers, the lack of evidence probably suggests more about me than it does others. It probably suggests that I'm, I'm looking at the church through a darkened lens. 
rather than a gray-saturated lens. And this is why, by the way, Scripture consistently warns against grumbling or complaining. Why? Because grumbling tells us less about our circumstances and more about the posture of our hearts. And that's why the Word of God constantly calls us against grumbling and in favor of gratitude. Barnabas could have produced a list of concerns, I don't doubt, and complaints. But this is not what he does. He sees the apparent grace of God, and he's glad. He rejoices. Consider parenting with me for just a moment, would you? I've thought about this even this week, and it's been incredibly convicting for me. One of the surefire ways to discourage our children is to parent them in such a way that they feel that it's impossible to please us. To have such a standard we foist on our children that they just feel they'll never meet it. We could translate this into the church. One of the surefire ways as a spiritual mother or a spiritual father to dishearten the body of Christ is by being impossible to please, by only offering criticisms about God's people, by talking about what you just don't like and how we just haven't arrived and how God's word tells us we ought to be doing this and we're never doing this. I assure you, I assure you what that does is it breaks the bruised reed. And it quenches the smoldering wick. Barnabas didn't merely do this, that is, encourage the church in relation to the community. I want you to remember this with me. Barnabas actually did this in relationship to individual Christians. Remember, remember Saul? Saul was confronted by Jesus on his, on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And Jesus appeared to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And Saul falls to the ground and he's blinded. All of this takes place. A man actually is appointed to go and lay hands on Saul. He receives baptism. He becomes, as it were, a member of the body of Christ. He goes to Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem does what? They don't trust him. He's been persecuting the church. He's been hauling people off. And so they're concerned. This is a spy. And he's coming in to find out who's in the church. And he's going to haul us off because we serve the Lord Jesus. What does Barnabas do? Barnabas sees God's grace in Saul's life. And he takes Saul and he does something quite bold. He introduces Saul to whom? The apostles. It's one thing to introduce Saul to the church. It's another thing to introduce him to those who comprise the foundation of the church, the apostles. Here, Saul, let me introduce you to a group of people who, who need to know who you are and they need to be able to celebrate God's work of grace through Christ given to you. A man that will later refer to himself as the chief of sinners. So brothers and sisters, this is the man Barnabas. 
This was the kind of man Barnabas was. This is why he was called the son of encouragement. He was the kind of man that if you spent a few moments with him, you would leave encouraged in the Lord. This brings us to our third activity, which is related to what we've just said. Third, Barnabas humbly discipled others in the church. He humbly discipled others in the church. Look with me at verses 25 and 26, where we find evidence of Barnabas humbly discipling others in the church. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, Barnabas spends an entire year teaching and instructing the New Gentile Christians in Antioch. So this is discipleship, right? Helping other people follow Jesus, to use Mark Dever's definition of discipleship that I think is as good as any. That's what Barnabas is doing in Antioch. But in addition to discipling the new believers in Antioch for a year, Barnabas also, I'm going to suggest to you, discipled the man who would become arguably the most influential Christian to the present. We know him as the Apostle Paul. He's referred to as Saul, his Hebrew name in our text. There'll be a shift. Acts chapter 13, he'll begin to be referred to as Paul, but not yet. Even in the present, in Acts chapter 11, he's still referred to as Saul. We just mentioned this. It was initially Barnabas who welcomed Saul into the church and introduced him to the apostles. Additionally, Luke demonstrates subtly, and this is subtle, that Barnabas was initially the leader between the two of them early on. Between Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas was the leader. However, Barnabas would humbly disciple Saul to the point at which the disciple would eventually become the master. Saul would outgrow Barnabas. And I'm convinced Barnabas rejoiced because of it. The self-effacing Barnabas would eventually fade from the scene, unlike Paul. Well, how did Luke demonstrate this throughout Acts? And we're not going to look through these texts. You can look at these later if you like. Luke typically, early in the story, Luke will describe Barnabas and Saul naming Barnabas first. That's usually how Luke describes the two of them. As they're ministering together, it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. There are some exceptions. But generally speaking, Luke refers to Barnabas first. A shift takes place in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. And from that point on, by the way, in Acts 13, verse 13, Luke doesn't even mention Barnabas. He says, Paul and his companions. Barnabas is anonymous at that point. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. Where is Barnabas? He's one of the unnamed companions. And from that point on, Luke begins to describe Generally speaking, there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, he begins to describe these two men, not as Barnabas and Saul, but Paul and Barnabas. Humility is an integral mark of discipling others, brothers and sisters. I say that 
Not because I exude it, but because I aspire to have it. One can say that that Barnabas was willing to play the second fiddle for the glory of Christ. Moreover, he was willing to play the second fiddle after having played the first. That's something altogether different. Some of you in this room come to my mind, I won't embarrass you in front of others, but you model this beautifully. As the old rhyme summarizes, it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Barnabas played the second fiddle well. And this is the heart of a disciple maker. It's someone who is not concerned about his or her own reputation. They're not interested in self-aggrandizement or upward mobility in the church or recognition by others. No, they're willing to decrease. So that Christ may increase in the lives of other people, and that often happens as stronger leaders come and replace us. In my best moments, which are few and far between, it is liberating to think that in 100 years, it is doubtful that anyone will know my name, save Christ. Why is it liberating for the Christian in his best moment or in her best moment? Because really, at root, if we're redeemed, we want that. We do. In our worst moments, we don't. We resist. But God is merciful, patient, and gracious. We want Christ finally to be honored as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is the heart of a disciple maker. By the way, I think the reason Barnabas was so influential in the life of Paul, and although we don't have time to do this, although, well, I'll mention it. How about that? <laughs> Kim Allen. I said, we don't have time to do this. And Kim said, well, we'll do it anyway. We know me well, don't you, brother? Um, I'll mention this. It, not only was Barnabas influential in the life of Paul, he, he will be influential in the life of one of his cousins, John Mark. We'll get to that. Uh, Paul was an amazing man, far more amazing than Barnabas in, at many points. But where Paul had no use for John Mark, Barnabas had use for John Mark. And when the church in Jerusalem had no use for Paul, Barnabas had use for Paul. Why? Because Barnabas saw others on account, not of what they had done. Barnabas saw others not on account of who they had been. Barnabas saw others on account of who they might become by God's transformative grace in Christ. That's what made him so effective as a disciple maker. That's what made him so effective in the life of Paul, in the life of John Mark, and in the life of the church in Antioch. And even as we transition to close here, my time is running short. And in the life of of a place where Barnabas actually was originally from, Cyprus, there are a couple of traditions regarding the death of Barnabas 
And you can find out so much about this. A lot of things that, that appear to be somewhat fanciful, legendary. It's difficult to wade through all of it. We have various accounts of how Barnabas died. What is very clear, however, is that Barnabas was incredibly influential on this island from which he was, he was from in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, Cyprus. Even to this day, actually, there. The Church of Cyprus, which is in the Orthodox tradition, he's a kind of patron saint. And their leaders are viewed as successors, as it were, of Barnabas. What I think we can know, however, about the man is not necessarily how he died. Some say he was stoned, others, other, others say, for example, he was burned and his ashes were hurled into the sea. What is probable is that Barnabas died as a martyr. He died following Christ. This shouldn't surprise us. Barnabas served Christ and the church in life and death. So his activity that we observed a moment ago in Acts 11 didn't stop throughout his life. He continued unto death. The grace of God that Barnabas celebrated in the lives of others was the same grace that sustained Barnabas even in death. And as Barnabas discipled others to follow Christ, so too he followed Christ himself through death's dark veil. He was no Paul. We're going to see that. We're going to look together at the Apostle Paul and we'll find out that there is only one Paul by God's grace on account of God's mercy. However, now don't miss this, without the faithful influence of Barnabas, the church may never have had the privilege of being led by the Apostle Paul. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good and you do good. And one of the good things you have done and are doing in us is you're transforming us. You're bringing us out of our vileness, our wickedness, our folly into your abundant goodness given through Christ and applied by the Spirit. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. His goodness did not come from himself, but from you. And his goodness was something that he received from you through Christ, applied by the Spirit, and then it became a goodness that characterized his activities in life as he ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Oh, Father, do this in us. Do this through us, Father. Help us to serve the church. Help us to recognize and celebrate your grace in the church and help us by your mercy to disciple others humbly in the church. Do this, Father, and we will be pleased and overwhelmed with joy to spend an eternity giving you glory and honor and praise. We pray these things on account of Christ and all God's people said, amen.